<laughs> well done and good to see you all um, starting starting the move towards Christmas and uh, uh, we're feeling in a happy mood here because we've got some great bottles open. So let me introduce um, Pierre who will say hello and a few things about himself and then we'll come to the wines. Yeah. Okay. Well, good, um, good evening everybody. So I'm Pierre. Um, I'm now the um, unificator of the Domaine du Rocher since uh, 2005. So I start when my father lived, uh, he, well, he gave me the, the key of the domain. So I start since already 17 years now. So we managed to evolve a little bit the style of winemaking and the practice in the vineyard through this uh, period. So now we start to We have an idea of the wine we want to do so with my wife Marianne and so now we after 15 16 years we start to find really the the key of the practice in the vineyard in the in the cellar and uh, for the bottling and everything so we have mostly now a very old vineyard so from Etelois it was planted in 1923 same for la vieille vigne Uh, then we will have the Latricière planted in 1949 and 1969. Riette is exactly the same date than Italo because it's very close. Uh, and Claude Bess was planted in 1920. So we have mostly for what the wine we will drink today, it's mostly vineyard planted 100 years ago. So we have mostly mille rondage with a very Uh, natural concentration with small berries and with always a good acidity and a good balance with sugar. So for the last few vintage, it was very interesting because we didn't have very high alcohol level. It's close to 12.5 normally and with a nice acidity. So it gives a good energy in the wine. When do you think uh, your wines first really started getting noticed? Uh, and everybody talking about what you were doing? Um, I think it was 2013. But before, I mostly, I, I do a lot of uh, rock climbing. So <laughs> I most focus on, uh, on sports. Uh, and then I stopped like in uh, 2010. So then I focus on my uh, mind in winemaking. So in 2013, I think we managed very well this vintage yes which wasn't an easy year at all so uh and i remember we came and tasted a little vertical of uh lavo saint jacques here yes, with you and 2013 it seemed to be uh, the, yeah. the start of the special period um so everything we're going to taste today is uh, since that apart from the famous griot chambertin which is tiny one of the things about this domain which makes it stand out as well is that Pierre succeeds in vinifying really small volumes. I remember last year when tasting the 2020s, uh, there were 16 cuvées of all, but eight of them were one barrel or less. And most people say it's just too difficult to do, we're not going to try it. But uh, Pierre is manic like yes. that, and likes to do everything. <laughs> so uh, you have quite a big production in village Chevrochon-Bretin. Well, over the 8.5 hectares, We have in total uh, around five is a village. Of which you make several different cuvées. Yes, the biggest is an, um, a blend of some parcel, of some plot, 
Baden ou Genoa, Champs, Le Clos, Envon et aux Étalois. So there is six different cuvées. Of which the one uh, we're going to taste in both 2017 and 2015 is aux Etalois. So tell us a bit about that vineyard and uh, also why don't we pour ourselves a glass of it? Yes, aux Etalois, it's, uh, we have a vineyard of. Right, sorry. The total production size is uh, half an hectare of Etalois. But for this cuvée, we keep just the. We do one barrel per year, but just uh, from the side close to Griot. Yes, if you've got um, uh, an app which has got the vineyards on, or if you look at a map later on, you will see Griot Chambertin, and you'll see a little finger sticking up into it from the village sector, and it's that finger which makes this cuvée, rather than all of it. So you have, uh, it's more elevation, so you're going uphill there. Yes, sir. And the rest of Etelois is flat? Uh, the bottom yeah. is flat near the yeah. Route Nationale, the National Road, but the bottom is blend into the Jovachamata cuvée, the normal cuvée. Oh, oh. By the way, if you'd like to ask questions, don't hesitate, but do make sure you've got the, uh, the Bluetooth thing close to you so we hear you. So 2017, as we all know, is a a, a quite a big crop and a very accessible wine, which makes it suitable for drinking young, unlike most other recent vintages. So that's why we decided to put the three seventeens first to to kick the show off. So your Etelois twenty seventeen. Do you remember how much you made? Uh, one barrel. One barrel. Yeah. Wow. Okay. But the yield is often uh, very low because the the soil is very tiny. The vineyard very old, so the, even in 17, the average of the yield is was perhaps 20 to 8 per hectare. Mm. Mm. So this wine will have been de-stemmed, or you left a few whole bunches in it? We keep 15% uh, of full bunch. Right. So it varies across the range. Some wines you do more, and some you don't do any at all. Yeah, the the lower appellation, the, well, the biggest, like Bourgogne, Gevray, uh, Genevois, Champs, it's distant. And mm. then for the small cuvée, we keep 15% of full bench. And for Castier, Griot, and uh, Chambertin from the Negus, we keep 100% of wall bench. Right. Okay, well, we'll get to... Uh, Even the Griot 12 was a uh, 100% percent well yeah. Mm. So what I'm thinking about this is that the fruit strikes me as being very approachable, very ready to drink, but there's still a good structure behind. The tannins are, are, are very fine, but they're certainly present. There's not a huge amount of acidity, but it's not lacking either. But um, acidity is not a big feature of 2017. Um, but I'm getting a nice long aftertaste. It's staying with me in the mouth um, very well. But uh, good stuff at village level. And uh, after that, we're going to head out and see what Premier Crew and what Grand Crew uh, does. I hadn't known, or at least I hadn't remembered, uh, as I had, I had known, that this also was 1923. So, yes, right. so next year is going to be a big, big birthday yes, right. year at the domain. Yeah. 
So it was your grandfather or great grandfather who planted these? Must be great grandfather. Yes, but I don't know if it went by the plant. So ah, okay, it may be purchased since. Okay. But my grandfather was born in 1920, so it was the grand grandfather. Right. Yes. So unlike you, we don't have um, an array of five glasses, so we will have to but I, discard. Not so much. Lavo Saint Jacques. What would have been great is if we could have looked at the regular bottling and the 1923 side by side. Um, but the regular bottling has a mix of 19. Some of the 1923 goes into the regular yes, bottling, exactly. So as not to change it too much by removing all of the 23, but you have enough of it so you can make right. a couple of so barrels. So we just want to do one barrel of Lavo Vieux Okay. And we use the. Um, the middle part of the plot, in the middle of the okay, so, of the slope, right? Because at the beginning we start to use just the top part, but I think it was a little bit too concentrated, and it was I think better to okay. take the middle of the slope because your roads so start by the road right. and they yes, go right. up to the exactly. forest above. Yes, yeah. like everybody, long rows. Mm. I was talking to Cyril Russo, and she says they always do the Lavo Saint Jacques. They always pick it in the morning because the rows are so long. And they also bend a bit at the top so that you can't see you're coming to the end. And if you leave it for the afternoon, the pickers get pretty demoralized mm -hmm. seeing how much they still have. But it's true, most people in Lavo Saint Jacques, they do have rows that start at the bottom and go all the way up. Hmm. So this has got more concentration, more energy, but you'd expect that. Maybe what we'll do is when we've tasted the three seventeens, we'll ask you for some feedback as how they're tasting with you. There's more acidity in this wine, I find. I always in level it's yeah. It's always more acid. You've got cool air coming down from the Combe de Lavo, uh, which means it's normally the vineyard that most people pick at the end. And it always has this extra freshness. Um, and it's got a bit more of everything. This wine is more persistent in the mouth as well. It's more concentrated. So this is Lower saint -Jet. I mean, look, and you have you have over one hectare of this vineyard, which is amazing. Right, of the, right, we have six plots representing 1.2 hectare in total. Right. Okay. Given that everything else is tiny, like you know, 0 0.13 or 0.02 and so on, uh, apart from the village, Chevrolet uh, Champotins, this is the only cuvee which is available. Sorry, the regular Lavo Saint-Jacques is the only cuvee that's available in decent volume um, from the domain. Which uh, you will be more clued up on the pricing uh, uh, than I am, but um, I'm sure there is quite a difference between the pricing of the regular and uh, the yes. tiny amount of the Vievine. Okay, so why don't we take a look at the Grand Cru, which we have in bottle and you have in Magnum, so you'll be able to go on drinking it uh, through the dinner.
So planted in nine, uh, 1920. Which means that even though they only have a very small amount, in 2020, they did two cuvées, uh, a regular and the, and the Vievine centenary cuvée. Just sort of what, one barrel of each, I think? Yes, sir, like exactly. That. Crazy. <laughs> For the first time, um, I'm finding the bouquet still quite backward and not, uh, not leaping out of the glass. Beginning to come now with some swirling around, definitely deeper concentration of color, younger color. Mm. I'm finding the whole bunches show quite nicely in this. They lift the fruit give you a little peppery touch, open up the flavor more on the palate. Mm. It's, it's actually, it's really lovely. Uh, it's a beautifully svelte, suave wine that I suppose you can drink now. I am getting pleasure out of it now, but I think there's still quite a lot more still to be offered further down the road. Finally, Claude's needs it well, close to 10 years to be really ready and open. Do you think there's any difference inside Clos de Bez, depending on where your vineyards are, or do you think it is reasonably the same for everybody? Our place is just in the, in the middle, the, the appellation, and we have the, from the road to the, to the forest. To the forest so. so you, you, yeah, you, you couldn't be better placed, yeah, yes. It's one of the good things. There are lots of vineyards, uh, not Castier, but Clos Saint-Jacques, Chambertin, Chambertin, Clos de Bez, Laveau Saint-Jacques, many of them, that everybody has got rows that start at the bottom and go up at the top. So um, it's it's similar because you do get quite a difference. It's not just the degree of the slope, but also whenever you get up near the top, you tend to get uh, a lighter soil and a more white soil, a little bit of cooling air from the forest. Um, so it's good to have the That's combination. Right. Yes, right from the, the little deep soil at the bottom. Yes, the tiny soil at the top, and um, it gives, I think, more complex um, complexity in the wine. So, who would like to be spokesman from uh, from the dining table uh, for the first three wines? My general comment is that there's an enormous amount of precision and brightness in all of them, and you can see kind of the the uplift in quality is probably not the right term, but um, as you progress from village to Premier Cru to uh, Grand Cru. And also I think you see in the vintage the approachability that we've seen um, across 2017 as well. Um, and I, I particularly I, I enjoy the village, I enjoy the Premier Cru. I think that Clodagh is probably a little closed, um, but uh, still enjoyable, good balance, etc. Um, but I'd say the first two are the ones that are giving you the most pleasure at the moment. Yes, okay. Uh, I mean, I, I spend so much of my time tasting young wines in barrel that when I can see the potential pleasure to come, that already gives me pleasure now. 
uh, if you see what I mean. It is more clothes to clutter bears, but nonetheless, there is a sensuality in the fruit there and the length of flavor, which I think is over and above the other two. But the, but they, I did feel that they were very clear steps up. Yes, right. Exactly, um, but yeah, I think with Italwag, it gives perhaps 90% of the potential, but Club Bears give but perhaps just now 50% of the potential, and we need to wait perhaps five, six years more to, to have 100% of the potential of this fine. Is there anything you remember particularly about making 2017 as a vintage? Was there anything that stood out for you? No, I think it was. We managed the, the vineyard where. With the old vineyard, I uh, remember the why well, it was normally a huge uh, vintage with high um, quantity of wine. But with the old vineyard, we managed to keep a lower uh, quantity of wine. So I think we have a very nice concentration and a, and a good detail on the on each wine. There's certainly nothing dilute about these wines. Uh, it must be said. So what we're seeing at the moment with the 2021 vintage being tasted is everybody saying how much they're enjoying getting back to a, a fresher and more accessible style of wine after the really powerful 18, 19, 20. Um, so, and it's, it's really difficult to taste the 21s and the 20s side by side. Often when you do your tasting rounds, some of the people uh, like to show the previous vintage as well. And after the first two or three experiences, I said, no, stop, don't do it anymore. Because the 21 um, looks light compared to the 2020, but the 2020 looks a bit brutal and ugly compared to the 21. So it's better just to take each vintage as it comes. And with 17 and 21, you've got wines which are uh, digest, the French would say, so easily digestible um, and don't need vast amounts of keeping, but still show the beautiful qualities of the vineyards. Um, so what we decided to do was to do the flight so that we would see sort of each of the vineyards in the first flight. So you now have the 15 Latriciere, which I think we do have. Yes. Yes, we have. And the 12 Griot, which in fact we don't have because probably all the bottles are, oh, yeah. have been sold. There's so, so little of it. Uh, so if you'd like to... Um, Continue forwards and taste the Latriciere. <coughs> no, no, I'm just no, nothing about it. No, thank you very much. Yeah. So tell us about your Latriciere vineyard holding. Uh, so Latricia, it's our plot is located just uh, south of the Chambatin. So it's the first parcel in north of Latricia. Uh, my father bought this plot in 1989. And it was from Vignal Pantin in uh, 1949 and 1969. And we, we usually do two or three barrels per year of this, uh, this wine. Just in 16 and 19, we do just one barrel. But it's normally two or three barrels per year. Yes. So, why do you think that your yields tend to be lower than most people's? Is it something specific in the vineyards? Is it to do with the age of the vines? I think the age of the vines. Right. Yeah. It's normally due to because we have a lot of small plots. So my grandfather didn't 
change the vineyard, my father do the same. And uh, because he, we are like that this year, if we change the vineyard, we didn't, we'll produce oh. wine for 10 years. So it's better just to change each individual. Vines, vines, right. Yes. I don't know about uh, your end, but our end, the bouquet on this wine is absolutely sensational. Um, 2015s, uh, we were just talking before we, we came on air and we we're thinking that neither of us had really looked at much in the way of 2015 recently. And it could be closed down at seven years old, but that bouquet absolutely leaps out of the glass. So this is a wine which gets a bit of the whole clusters, but not too many. Unfortunately, I've got some more wine tastings this afternoon, otherwise I definitely wouldn't be spitting out. Mm. This is multi-layered. Um, I think the Clos de Bears is the uh, essence of elegance, if you like. It's incredibly smooth and supple, whereas Latricia has a little bit more obvious weight, if you like, but, and it's got different levels of, of fruit that come one after yes, the other. Sir. It might also be the vintage. Speaking. I think it's mostly, mostly due to the vintage, the vintage it's yeah. a bit more concentrated and ripe yeah. compared to the 17. It's very nice. Mm. But I think for me, 15 looks like a bit than 05, but mm. I think the maturity was a bit better in 15. In 15 than 5. So mm. the tannins are more silky and it's more round. And, uh, but the flavor is a little bit quite Sim the same, similar. I, think, similar. I said for a long time that 2005 was my favorite ever Burgundy vintage. And then along came 15. And I thought, well, it's got pretty much all the good things about 05. And it maybe has just a little bit more sweetness of fruit. Um, and it, 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 it's, a, it's a candidate for being one of the all-time greats, I must admit. Um, it's really the last of the um, superb vintages before we get to the stage when they get even richer and hotter and drier from 2018. And you really have got to make sure you get the balance right in those last three years, 18, 19, 20. Um, otherwise, the wines don't work, but the people who did get them right have made great wines then too. Um, I'm interested that that wine is reasonably accessible. Do you think it will close down at some point, or do you think it's always going to be? But I think now beautiful? it's already seven years old, so I think it was closed perhaps two years ago, but now okay. it's, it's open. Mm. It's start to open, and I think mm. it will be on the good uh, on the good way to. I was, something else I was discussing with Pierre beforehand was that we feel that today <clears throat> it's possible to make red burgundy so that it's very accessible while it's young, but it stays uh, together, stays young for a long, long time, and will make very, very good old wines as well. Whereas in the whites, we slightly feel that the um, change in style and the d desire to make wines of, of more elegance and finesse probably means that they won't last as long, even without any issues of oxidation. But um, 
they will be very good at 10, 12, 15 years old, but they probably won't be great at 30 or 40 years old, the way vintages from the 70s are still great. Um, that's my feeling, and, and also uh, Pierre uh, echoed that. Yes. Um, now, it's all, um, uh, we don't have the next wine to taste, but if you would like to taste the uh, uh, 2012 um, Griot Chambertin, it's worth pointing out that when you taste with Pierre the whole range, you have the Chambertin Claude Bears and his uh, cuvee of Chambertin that he's made for the last couple of years through a contract uh, before you have the Griot Chambertin. So this is the wine that finishes the tasting because it is the, the star of the range, if you like. And you've never ever had enough grapes to make even one full barrel. We do, we do the biggest uh, you made as 80, well. 80 liters of, of Gurriette for each vintage. So and 12 was the, it was the second vintage we do Gurriette. We started in 2011. And 12 was the, the, the second vintage. Because you only got the vine vineyard in 2011 or because no, no, before, before there was so little that you didn't? Before it was blended into the Ozetelois. Oh, right. So if you can, because, find, uh, if you can find the Ozetelois from before 2011, then you've got half a barrel, a quarter of a barrel of Griot in there. Lovely. I mean, this is completely crazy to, to, to make wine. Of, uh, if you think about it, it's typically 80 litres and a barrel is 228 litres. So you are a third of a barrel approximately. Yes, right. How do you do it? I mean, physically. Yeah. Ah, for the well, yeah. that's just we have a small vat of three hundred liters, and just with well, same process on the big vat, but just okay. a little bit more uh, uh, vigilance. Uh, you just have to be more careful. Yes, right. Right. And then afterwards, for the aging, do you, you've got a barrel made up? Of yes, the right so size? we have a barrel on the size of the one we produce. We have two barrels, so one of 80 and one of 86 liters. And we keep it since, um, I think now, six, seven years. We have the same. So depending on the size of the sip that each of you take, you can work out what percentage the crop you're drinking with every basketball. <laughs> and it, it's, it is the smallest cuvee ever produced in Burgundy. Yeah, the smallest is consistently uh, produced. Yes, yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, though the uh, Mentors have made a, a quarter barrel of Musini okay. in 2021. Right. But normally, no, no, yours, uh, yours uh, for, for a regular bottling, it must be the smallest. Well, Anyway, remember the, my mantra that rarity does not mean quality, but in that wine, obviously we're not tasting the 2012 with you, but each vintage that I've tasted over the last five plus years that I visit here, that wine is really one of Burgundy's most extraordinary things. How's the Latricia showing? It's great. Yeah. Very, very It's very exuberant in our, in our glasses. Right. So, um, 2012 was a vintage that's rather fallen off the radar because there wasn't very much made, partly hail in the Côte de Beaune, but not the Côte de Nuit, and partly um, bad weather at the flowering. So the crop was very small all the way through. Um, so you find a little bit of a greenness in the Griot 2012. Okay. Is it? 
Um, is it 100% um, yes, promotion? Okay. But I guess it, uh, it was one month ago and yeah. it was clear. Not green, but. Yeah. It is, uh, Richard, of course, it is 100% whole bunch, which right. um, could be giving a character of that sort um, uh, alongside it. But of the two, it sounds so Latricier is, is showing the better today. Yeah. Um, we aren't here to see your bottle and try your bottle, unfortunately. Yeah, well, first thing, I think we all think that Latricier is absolutely magnificent and, and you know, Moorish and just in the perfect place now, although it will go on for years. But the question I'd like to ask Pierre is um, how... So, so how would he like his wines to be described by us? So I guess what I'm saying is what kind of wine is he trying to make to elicit, you know, is it, is it kind of, is it structure? Is it refinement? Is it purity? I mean, what, how would he like us to see his wines in, in terms of what, of what he's trying to achieve as a winemaker? No, Sorry, is that a complicated question? To do something um, like with elegance, Something digest and uh, easy to drink, and in the same time to have like uh, something with power and concentration. So I think it's something what we achieve in twenty one. It's very elegant, but in, in some time it's a very nice density. It could be like perhaps we can find find it perhaps uh, just elegant, but in the same time there is a very nice complexity density and. Uh, but this is very difficult to have the both both so things together. Same, uh, yeah. together. I think I would add a comment that when I first tasted um, Pierre's wines, which would have been before 2013, I found them very good, but they finished a little hard. There wasn't the flow through of the fruit all the way through the palate. Uh, there was a slight interruption from the, the, the tannins at the back. And that from the, the changes from, let's say, 2013 onwards, that seems to have gone from the wines. And now they are very coherent all the way through. Um, we could see that in 2015s, and I found that in the 17s as well. Um, but um, do you know what did you, is there any one thing that you <clears throat> changed that makes you think from 2013 you were mastering what you did? I think the practice in the vineyard was it, uh, we changed uh, some details each time, but when you change a lot of details, Yes, it's why well, you have the difference at the end. But the most important thing is that uh, when we harvest, we want just to have something. Uh, we have a sorting table, but we didn't use it because we want just to harvest something at the perfect uh, phenic maturity. And uh, right. So I think this is the key to have something. Uh, if it's not uh, overripe or not uh, underripe. If it's at the good moment, I think you can have everything. So the perfect choice of picking date. Yes. Is, yes. And we have just vineyard in Gevray, so it's very easy to the uh let's right, say is the far uh la vigne plus éloignée. The which is the Latricia Okay. Latricia Champagne is the furthest away from the I mean everything is you uh, I'm just looking at this yes, everything is very close, less yeah. than two kilometers, so it's very easy to with the others to choose the right, really right date of picking of each vineyard. So to have something very balanced 
because in the for the vinification we just use uh, the grapes and carbonic gas to protect and uh, that's it so we just i think for me and for my wife it's if you have the balance in the grape you can you will have the balance in the wine and the concentration and everything yeah um i like that idea and i think when i check your dates of picking you're not one of the later people um, because you don't like overripeness. Uh, yes, and we like have a uh, well, very low yield yeah. compared to the other. So we yeah. start the last few minutes. We start the first. Yeah, in Jura to pick the grape. So first to start, but they're right. Where have you heard that before? Answer: Arnelant in Merso. Uh, but, uh, good. Okay. Well, we did play around with how to do the order of the wines. Um, the reason we went with the first flight of five and then the second uh, flight of five was just so that, uh, depending on how long we could stay with you, we would have a chance to talk about all the um, vintages. But it's, uh, in another sense, a bit bizarre because it means we go back to the village Aux Etelois in 2015. Um, just so you know that the other single vineyard village wines are Genevois and Champs. Uh, both of which um, are on the Brochon side of Chevrochon, which is where I think probably the uh, many of the most exciting Chevrochon um, wines come from, just on the edge between Chevrochon and Brochon. Um, and with the Premier Cruz, uh, also made in very small quantities, Champeau, Estonel Saint Jacques, and Castier. Uh, and Castier. Which I'm missing from my list because it's more recent. Yeah, everybody should make Castier such a such a wonderful vineyard. And then in the Grand Cru's, we've tried Cadabes, Criat Chambertin, Patricia Chambertin. There's also Cham Chambertin, and now there is a little bit of uh, Negociant uh, Chambertin. Well, I say Negociant, but Pierre runs the vineyards uh, as one part of the contract, and then buys the grapes yeah. as the other side. So all the work is as if it were the main. Yeah. Um, so now, do you have the second series served yet? We, we do. We do. So we're going back to um, uh, 2015 um, Etelua, and we have that as well. So we will try that with you. It doesn't have the same volume and exuberance that the Latricia Chambertin had. But it has got finesse and it's got good acidity as well, which I think is important. Um, how do you feel about um, when you're making a wine? Do you think about the fruit acid balance or the fruit tannin balance or both? I think both. Right? We yeah. just want a uh, very nice balance between everything. We didn't. Um, uh, give importance to the color of the wine, but just just for the taste, yeah, and the balance of everything. Right? But yeah. I think uh, it also is perhaps more tannin than Latricière, mm -hmm. but I think more fine, refined tannin. But uh, I think a good quantity of tannin in this wine. Yes, child of Briot, but um, when they drew the boundaries, it didn't make it into Briot. Little I might go back and retry the uh, Latricia 15 alongside, but we also have, uh, do we not? What's coming up next? We have the Lava Saint Jacques 15, which again, we have, an, we have some here open in front of us, but we will try that. 
But the nose of the um, Etherwa is growing on me. It's getting more concentrated in the glass as time goes by. Should we try the level? Yeah, Joshua, I feel like my takeaway is that 15 is a very good year. Yes. <laughs> it's, they, they are singing. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, if you were trying to describe what would make up your ideal um, vintage in Burgundy, it's, it's, I mean, it's hard to see how 15 doesn't match that. All the fruit that you want, but it's not vulgar, and just the perfect structure. They they're drinking beautifully. They they just drink very nicely right now. Yes, but the only thing is, I think they've got a lot more to come later on. So you, oh, yeah, yeah. you've got enough of them. Do drink them some of them now, but I think there will be layers to unfold later on, which you'll miss if you drink them all now. Whereas with 2017, you probably won't get extra layers when they're old wines. They'll hold, but they won't improve. And 15s, I think, will. It's still very young, 15. Huh? Yeah. Right. I'm getting a really beautiful nose on our Lavo violin. Yeah, the Lavo. of the vineyards that you have, do you have your favorites? I have a favorite vineyard. I know, I know it's tough. It's like, you know, picking like a favorite. How is that? Well, it's just too difficult question, but I like Estonel. Estonel and Latricière. Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> because I think Latricière, uh, perhaps not 15, because it's a little bit uh, different vintage, but I think Latricière, there is um, some character in this wine we can find in the other wine of the range, and even in Gevray, there is very something really. Um, Aérien and uh, ethereal, yes. And normally in Gevray, it's like normally it's very deep wine, but in Latricia, it's always very well, like a perfume and a very light uh, flavor. And a... Despite it's a it's a deep soil, but it provides these wines with with, with most uh, beautiful aromatics. But Latricia, our part is very. Oh, you have a shallow soil. Yeah. soil right? right. Okay. Because we are just. South of Chambertin. Yes. So the soil are very tiny and there is not too much uh, soil, so it gives a wine very, uh, just like a perfume, yeah. I think. Well, if I hadn't already looked at the Tricia Chambertin 15, I would think this Lavo Saint Jacques 15 was just about as good as you can get. Yeah, great. Yeah. Which? Which? Um, which Jasper uh, maybe raises another question is, do you think that Lavo is a slightly underrated uh, vineyard in Gevry, um, you know, relative to, obviously relative to Close Zone Jack, but. Uh, I'll answer and then we're going to get it all, or Pierre answer first and then, oh, tu veux uh, for, for me, it's one of the best first in Gevry, uh, after compared to Close Jack, I think it's, it's a different vineyard. So, but for me, since uh, 2014, Lavo Sajak, it's sometimes compared to the 
some some charm or Latricia, it's I think it's very close in terms of quality. Yeah. Um, officially, uh, there are various uh, sort of guidelines to what should be the price per barrel for wines which are sold um, from Grez to Negociants or between Negociants. And the Premier Cru's are at one level, and then a few of them are at a higher level. And Lavo Saint-Jacques is one of those. I think maybe in time... Lavo Saint-Jacques and Chapelle, a Petite Chapelle, I think. Petite Chapelle, Lavo Saint-Jacques. And Clos Saint-Jacques, right. Clos Saint-Jacques, of course. Those are the three at a different level. Um, I also, I love Castier, the other side. But so you have got this um, uh, Coombe in French, the Combe de Lavo, which comes down from the hills, was originally... Uh, the source of the big river that um, is the reason why the vineyards of Chevrochamatin spread out so wide and below the main road, and it's legitimate, is because there was a watercourse that brought down all sorts of interesting soils and spread them around. Um, and uh, it's a road I use quite often to get back uh, home, and the little road winds its way up and it goes through a tunnel in the rock, but it's really noticeably cooler there than the rest of Chevrochamatin. So now in these warmer years, I think Lavo Saint-Jacques' reputation is only going to go up from here. It's an area that really benefits. Um, it used to be possibly a fraction too cool, possibly. Um, and certainly, I mean, I remember Denis Morte used to chat lies his every year, including in 2003. Um, uh, but uh, um, nowadays, and everybody, pick, you pick it last. Yeah, nearly last. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, uh, it's certainly very good, and I think it's growing. Uh, and this figure of uh, Lavo Vievin is just it a step uh, up than the regular figure of Lavo. Of course, of course, with the ancient vines. The other thing you should know is that you're allowed to um, uh, spell it either uh, Lavo L A V A U T or A U X, as if it were plural. And yeah. normally we write it as AUX, and I think on the various emails that went round, it was done as AUX. But uh, Pierre is one of the AUT team. So <laughs> if you were going by that uh, email that came round, you need to swap the X out for a T. But what's the difference? Like, you know, why, why T versus the X? Uh, dealer's choice, frankly. In, Bur in Burgundy, nothing is ever uh, simple, and whenever they can, find different ways of writing things. Uh, no, it, it really, is, it really is a choice. Um, there's no reason. But you'll also see with griot chambertin. Sometimes it's griot without an s, and sometimes it's with an s. The tricky ones are where the growers themselves forget which it is, and one year it's one thing, and the next year it's a different thing. Uh, so I have to have consistency on our website. That uh, that makes life complicated. Mm. Now, alongside that, you, but not we, have got um, the 2014 in Magnum, and I'd be thrilled to hear your views on how the 14 shows alongside the 15. And the 14 was the first vintage for La Bobbia Vigne. Ah, okay. Last year, 14, I'll make a note of that. Should we cook glasses for the, or do we have glasses for the 14 then? Yeah. You go what? We need to clear glasses. We, 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 we need, we need oh, to you haven't, you haven't been served it yet, okay. Yeah, cool. Okay. Cool.
We'll do it. Can't do it. We're, yeah. we're professionals. Okay, so what you've got still to come is the 14 Levis Saint Jacques and Magnum, and then the Coda Bears in 16 and 14. So while uh, being pulled, we could maybe talk about the vintages. Um, I'll do it in theory, and then Pierre can tell me his, uh, his impression from here. 16, um, Sixteen was a, a frost year, but the Reds um, came out of it really pretty well. Um, uh, were you badly hit by the frost in sixteen in Côte d'Azur? Uh, not Côte d'Azur, no. Not Côte d'Azur. Okay. Some problem in La Tricière, uh from the lower appellation like Bourgogne-Chardonnay, and there was Saint-Jacques. Because each place was there was a little bit of uh, humidity and uh, yeah. like in the Combe or the lower place, there was some problem. But Côte d'Azur and the side of Brochon was very did all right. Okay, so that's all right. So, you, so otherwise, I mean, sixteen would have been one of the great vintages if it hadn't been for the frost. Fourteen, a bit more complicated. Um, a year that the level of maturity ripeness. Well, I think it was quite good there. Just, just at the, at the right level. Yeah, I think. I mean, some people panicked because there was some rot approaching in fourteen, and the people who panicked and picked too early, you can really tell. The wines have a, a slightly shrill acidity and, uh, um, and the fruit is not ripe enough. But those who were able to hold out um, their decision-making plus the right vineyard practices, then I think the wines did pretty well in 14. So... Uh, it starts to show quite well now, 14. Take a little bit of time, but now it, I think it will be should be nice. So... Um, Sorry that there wasn't any uh, 13 around. The other thing which would have been fun, maybe you have to do it uh, separately at home sometime, is to compare the two Lavaux Saint-Jacques, the regular bottling of the VAV. But uh, Hong Kong seems to attract the super cuvées. Uh, let's have a look. The, the 14 nose is pretty good. Yeah. The, the yeah. nose, the, the, oh, it's very poor. It's It's... It's it's bright. It's it's good. Due to the old vineyard and the the quantity was like I think less than twenty liter per hectare. So I think we have the very nice phenolic maturity in fourteen. So should be right. So that makes a difference. Nice. Yeah, because it was a vintage that started out as a normal size crop. I think uh, not anyway. Not specifically one of the very small ones. Uh, so the people who made more wine would definitely have been less ripe. Yeah. Um, so, do you have all three of the, all the last three, or do you just have the Lavo for now? Just the Lavo. Just Lavo, okay. Uh, well, we might leave you to enjoy the, the two Clodagh Bears um, uh, on your own. Uh, but um, before we leave you, um, so uh, just, sorry, just going back to the Lavo, the 14 showing well, but not challenging the 15, would that be correct? Yeah. Um, now, we know that there is one essential question which we will ask shortly, but apart from that, does anybody have any uh, questions either about tonight's wines or about um, Pierre's practices or what he'd like to see in future? Uh, any any questions to ask Pierre while we have him? Which vineyard does he find the most challenging? Okay. I'm sensing it's well, it's mostly uh, like Bourgogne, Bourgogne Chardonnay, and the the lower appellation for the 
application of the on the slope, it's always why well, we have less humidity, less water, more wind, so we have less diseases. It's older vineyard, so like Clubet, it's always something that's simple to do, but there is less change than the, to do a good Bourgogne or a good Bourgogne Chardonnay. So we sometimes there is more well, things to do in the Bourgogne to have something right to the high level. And amongst the Premier Cruise and the Grand Cruise, they all they all work. There isn't one that uh, causes you more anxiety. But Lavo, it, it depends on the vintage because it's more humid. So if it's a humid vintage, at the end of the before the harvest, it's a little bit difficult sometimes to have a good maturity in Lavo, but you to do a rest and you to, uh, the vineyard is like older than when I start. So I think now we manage something quite well and uh okay. Is uh, so you've now been doing it since two thousand seven or five? Did you say two thousand five or five? Right? Five. So you've been doing it for seventeen years. Are there still things that you would you think to yourself? I need to go a further step from here, or do you think you have arrived at the style that you really want to make? N now, now, is there still uh, more to discover? Always, always. Yeah. But and then the more you are. You, the more you you have experience, you know there is more things to improve. So there is yeah. always something to improve. So it's very exciting to to have the next vintage and uh, the next challenge. And with the challenge. and with the global warming, then clearly there are things that you. Why well, you are, we have okay. to do to be to adapt each mm. practice, each vintage. So it's very interesting. Okay. Still very uh, interesting and. Uh, do you, another question from you, or shall we come to the, the question we ask all our uh, guest vignerons, which is, if you could have one other vineyard that you don't work with, what would it be? If somebody could just say, here you have half a hectare, or we don't even need that much for you, but uh, uh, a bit of one vineyard that's missing, what would you really like? When you uh, see it yeah. with other people, you think, I'd like to have that. I think perhaps a white wine, something mm. a Côte de Bonne. All right, so Côte de Bonne wine, okay. Um, oh, which one? Which one? <laughs> which village? Uh, perhaps uh, Puligny. Okay, right. A bit of Puligny Pucelle, a bit of Puligny uh, Les Caillerets, why not? Demoiselle. Yes, Demoiselle would be just right, because there's so little of it, it would fit your profile. Very small. And one other Grand Cru in Chevry Chambertin. Like we're, we're, assume, we're saying you have got Chambertin, you have got Claude de Bez, and you have got Latricia and Griot. And Chan. So, and Chan. Perhaps, uh, so you, you, you don't have Mazzy, you don't have Ruchot, you don't have Chapelle, you don't have Mazoyère. The Chan is Mazoyère. Perhaps Chapelle. Chapelle. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Well, you have bottles to finish, and even better than that, you have a couple of magnums to finish. Uh, so we will leave you to enjoy those. And uh, I will be back at the beginning of January with a costury event, which I think many of you have signed up for. Uh, so we will see you then.
And uh, otherwise, leave you to enjoy. So great to talk and have a wonderful Christmas.